God is good. God is good. Um, last week, how good was that? Um, body ministry and folk sharing, uh, I got to listen to people said, so good, so rich. The stuff that God's speaking in the house is so good. Um, yeah, what he's stirring up in people's hearts is so good. And then uh, Matthew, thank you so much. Where's Matthew at? I saw him earlier. He was there he is back there. Thank you, Matthew, for bringing the word a couple weeks ago. If you've been here this summer, you know, um, we've been just thinking about the question, like how, if we say like more, Lord, like we've been experiencing God, how do we make room for more of God? And I think what's intuitive is usually not what we need to do. You know what I'm saying? Like sometimes we think if there's like an amazing worship experience, we think, well, let's do that very same thing again and longer. You know what I mean? Like we tend to want to keep manufacturing the same thing and how you know, God's always doing like a new thing, right? And so you just got to say, come and do what you want to do. Um, I was talking with Pastor Alyssa this week and she said last week, there were a couple times she thought I'm going to take it up here, but it just felt like what God was doing was peace in the house. And it just, you know what I'm saying? And you just have to, you know, you just got to flow with where he's going. Like he knows what needs to happen. Um, he knows uh, what we need. And so in thinking about how we increase our capacity for God, if we're saying we love what we're experiencing in God and we want more of it, what do we do then to increase our capacity to receive? How many of you know, like, we need more than what we've received so far? Like, we've had a trickle. There's a lot more, right? And so if we want to persist in ourselves for more, God, we want more of your presence in our lives. We want to host your presence well. We want to experience more of you. Um, if we want more, then what are the things that, how do we increase our capacity for him? And so we've talked about a few things. Um, one, we've talked about intercession. Like, you need to join him in what he's doing, right? So you have experiences with God, which are really important and should be ongoing. How many of you know, like, you don't just need, like, a good worship service once and you're like, okay, I'm good. 20 years from now, I want to be like, man, remember 20 years ago, that great worship service? Like, how many of you know, like, you need to consider, like, we need that. Right? We need to keep experiencing God, but you increase your capacity for him by partnering with him. You have an experience of him, but that experience should make you want to say, I think others need this too. Right? So the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes upon them, and the first thing they do is not say, hey, let's book the room for next weekend so we can come back and do that. Right? The first thing they do is say, we got to get out of this room. We need to tell somebody like that God is really good. When they were filled with the Holy Spirit, what did it compel them to do? It compelled them to partner with the Father in what he was doing. And what's the heart of the Father? That everybody would be saved. That the sheep that are safely in the pen would get a heart for the one who's lost. Right? And so we partner with the Father with, through intercession. How many of you know prayer changes things? There are situations where you're like, I don't see how this thing is going to turn out well. How many of you have been there where you're like, I do not see how this can turn out well? This conversation, this work negotiation, this whatever. Um, but you cover that thing in prayer and something shifted. What happened? All, all the circumstances might be the same, but people's hearts shifted. And you come in that room and there's a different spirit in the room because people's hearts shifted. There are moments in history where if you think about the Cold War, right? 
I mean, for 40 years, everyone's waiting for the next nuclear, right? For the day after, right? Nuclear disaster. And what happens? Like, in a very short period of time, when Gorbachev was in power, his heart shifted. Enough. So the Iron Curtain came down. I'm just saying, even people who are pagans, it says the heart of the king is like water, like rivers of water in the Lord's hand. He will direct it where he wants. He can even take someone's heart who's far from him, and he'll direct that where he wants. How many of you know? We try to, we try to direct other people. But we're not in control of other people. So we've got to manipulate and all that kind of stuff. And God says, would you just trust me? Live righteously. Believe me. Let me do it. When you do it, you mess it up. So we just come proclaiming him, right? We just come proclaiming him. And then he can work it out. And there's times you're like, I, there's nothing left to proclaim. Man, that's where intercession begins to move those things. How many of you in a place where you're like, I've used all the words. <laughs> I've used all the words, <laughs> right? So you partner with him in intercession. We partner in just personal worship, right? We, we shouldn't be waiting for the next Sunday to be like, man, that was great. I can't wait. I mean, I can't wait till the next Sunday, but there should be personal worship happening in my life. I should be fostering worship in my life. I need to have a personal connection to God I should not have to have a relationship with God that has to be fostered by somebody else. I'm in the Word, and the Holy Spirit's guiding me into all truth. Like, thank God for teachers and pastors, but, right? You shouldn't just, you're, you're, when you come to feed at the Lord's table, it shouldn't be what somebody else is regurgitating up that they've already chewed. That's how baby birds are fed. That's how baby birds are fed. But adult birds know how to go get a worm. Right? You gotta, you gotta get your own worms too. You, go, you have a relationship with God. And so in personal worship, how we foster that. And then I want to turn now to, over the next couple of weeks, just talking about primary way that you partner with God that increases your capacity, and it will because it will send you running to him. You've got to share your faith. You have to look for it. Jesus said the problem isn't that nobody wants God. The problem isn't that nobody wants Jesus. It is the fields are ripe for harvest. So pray to the fathers and laborers in the field because the laborers are few. There is low-hanging fruit all around us people who are so open to the gospel. They're so open to Jesus. They're so open. We have been fed a lie. Don't talk about religion. Don't talk about politics. And so now we have a society where no one knows how to talk about anything. When we should have been talking about these things all along. Politics is just how we live together and how we, we should talk about that. Kindly, generously. But we should talk about those things. We've been told don't talk about religion, don't talk about, right, your faith is a personal thing. That is not what the Bible says. The Bible says my faith is a public declaration. Not obnoxiously, not unkindly, but it, it, 
if there's rivers of living water in you, it's going to splash on people. Naturally. Right? And so if I've been fostering a personal relationship with Jesus, it's going to naturally splash on people. Because you're going to have testimony. People give you their testimonies all the time. Hey, I met a cute guy on Friday at the bar. We hooked up. It was amazing. That's their testimony. That's all they know. That's right. They're do There's a bunch of people, you know, who are just living for the weekend. Why? Because life is so miserable. If I can just get drunk. What is that? that? They're coping with the fact that life is hard. And they don't know Jesus yet. So I'm not judging anybody. I'm just saying people give you their testimonies. I got so smashed this weekend. That's their testimony. What are they telling you? What they've experienced? Their highlight. Tell them your highlight. Right? Your testimony can set people free. Most people I talk to, their testimonies gross me out. It doesn't set me free. It makes me feel sad. I'm, I'm just, for real. How many of you people that talk to you and you just, your heart just feels sad for them because you're like, man, oh. The loneliness and emptiness is with, with I'm, not, I'm not saying like in a judgmental way. I'm just saying like, apart from Jesus, man, the older you get, the less there is to live for without Jesus. You know what I'm saying? You can have a lot of delusions when you're, but as you get older, you realize, man, you're not going to find joy in wealth. You're not going to find other people. You're not going to find it in man's approval. You're not going to find, come on, you're not going to find it in beauty and that fades anyway. You're, you're <laughs> you begin to tick the list off of things that you thought would fulfill you that don't. Apart from Jesus, that's, that's sad. We've got to share what we have. And it happens naturally as we're fostering a relationship with God. And so I'm going to start with what must I do to be saved? Because I think for a lot of people who love the Lord, um, there's times that they, there's moments they're like, man, I want <clears throat> to say something. Or they can feel like this is a moment where I could share something. But I think a lot of people get scared because they feel like, I don't think I can do it well. And I feel like I might fail. And what if they did want to get saved? What do I, how does that happen? <laughs> like, like, you know what you've experienced in God? Let's just be real. A lot of times you're kind of like, I would, I would not know what to do next. So I'm not going to take the first step. How many of you can just relate to that? Three of us can totally relate to that. So I want to start, before I actually get to like practicals of sharing our faith over the next couple of weeks, I just want to start with, what must I do to be saved? What must I do to be saved? How we communicate that. I'm going to start in Acts chapter 16, verse 16. Paul and Silas have been ministering. Luke is writing, so he's writing in the first person here. There's a little group of guys going around and they're ministering to people. They've just led a very important person, low-hanging fruit, fields are right for harvest person, Lydia, to the Lord. And she's a businesswoman in the town, and she knows everybody. So she's a, she's a merchant. They lead her to the Lord, and the whole town is starting to get saved. Because she's that kind of person. How many of you know? Sometimes you think, man, it's so daunting. How will Jackson come to the Lord? 
you might lead one person to the Lord and that person's the domino for an entire neighborhood. You know what I'm saying? God just knows. And so they just led Lydia to the Lord. So there's some stirring in this city because now Lydia is all about it. She's calling through all of her con. She's going through a Rolodex, man. She's like, she's on fire. And so we pick up in verse 16. One day as we, which would be Luke and Paul and Silas and whoever else they had with them, one day as we were going down to the place of prayer, we met a slave girl who had a spirit that enabled her to tell the future. She earned a lot of money for her masters by telling fortunes. She followed Paul and, and the rest of us shouting, these men are servants of the most high God and they have come to tell you how to be saved. This went on day after day until Paul got so exasperated that he turned and said to the demon within her, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her and instantly it left her. So number one, let me just say, astrology, psychics, tarot cards, there's a, there's a reality to that. A lot of it's fakery. But there are demonic things that possess people or speak to people. And so they kind of have a show of miracles. Everything God does, Satan has counterfeits for. They're weak and they're silly and they're whatever, but his counterfeits for. And so listen, astrology, psychics, tarot cards, reading your horoscope. Listen, that's all demonic stuff. Run. <laughs> that is not, it is a counterfeit that ensnares you. It's demonic. She was able to tell the future to some degree. I don't know what her, you know, how, um, what her percentage was, but to some degree she could tell the future, but it happened through demonic powers. And so here's the, here's the, the really cool thing with the spiritual realm is Jesus is just Lord over all of it. And he is Lord. He is who he, he's the Messiah. He's the chosen one. He is Lord, right? And the thing is, every spiritual being knows that. <laughs> Even demons. And how many of you know, like, people are attracted to power. People are attracted to power. They come to it like moths to a flame. In the spirit world, it's, it's no different. When Jesus would come into a city, he never had to say, show me where the demoniacs live. He'd come into a city, and what happened? All the demon-possessed people would come to him and be like, you're Jesus of Nazareth! You're Lord! You're the Messiah! Yeah. And then he'd set people free, and they're like, no, don't do that. What do you think was going to happen? <laughs> but they could not help themselves. Because <laughs> Jesus is beautiful. They just couldn't, and he is Lord. They just couldn't help themselves. So this woman, she's speaking by a demon, this girl, um, and she sees what they have is real. She's experienced something in the spiritual realm. I don't know to what degree she was confused about what it was, but she recognized in them the real thing. And so she's like, this is amazing. Hey, everybody, listen to them. They can tell you how to be saved. Was she saved? No, but she recognized, like, Whatever they have is real. I'm telling you, there are people who seek, like they're seeking God, and they'll, I have taken people out witnessing before who aren't saved yet, and they're excited. They're telling them everything of the sermon from the previous Sunday. They're stirred up, but they haven't made him Lord yet. They haven't surrendered their will to him yet. They haven't repented of their sins yet, but they're like, this is for real. We need to be wise and lead people all the way to salvation. Because people have an experience of God and God's presence is awesome. 
right? Even to worship, you say God's presence is so good. People love that. But the presence of God is just revealing himself to draw them to repentance. People can sit in church for decades and never be saved. They get goosebumps when we sing Amazing Grace. They might even lift their hands, right? Their lives are changing. They're doing better things, but that's because they've joined a new tribe. And they're like, oh, these people don't drink. Oh, great. People aren't really swearing. I'm not kind of... How many of you know for a lot of people, they're trying to fix all the outward things and no one's ever told them how to actually enter into a relationship with Jesus. And so there's just like a religion, but there's no power in it. How many of you know your life will change? What you do does change when you get saved, but it changes from the inside out. The change happens eternal, internally and works outside for a lot of people. The Christianity they practice is like, I need to do all the right stuff to be approved by God. When there's nothing you can do to be approved by God except surrender to him. That's how you're approved by God, is you surrender to his son. It got quiet. Okay. I'll prove it through scripture in just a minute. I, I thought we were on safe ground there, but I'll, I'll get back to that. People can be very spiritual. People can even really love the presence of God. And how many of you know, like, they still need to be saved? This girl's like, this is amazing. Hey, everybody, come listen to these guys. And finally, Paul's like, enough of this. Enough of this. Don't commingle what we're doing because they're from different spirits. And he cast that demon out of her. Well, things, things get difficult after that. 19, verse 19. Her master's hopes of wealth were now shattered. So they grabbed Paul and Silas and dragged them before the authorities of the marketplace. They said, the whole city is in an uproar because of these Jews. They shouted at the city officials. They are teaching customs that are illegal for us Romans to practice. Is that what was happening? They lied on them. And not just that, who's mad about it? These two knuckleheads are mad about it. The entire city is in an uproar. They're shouting to everyone. And then what happens next? A mob quickly forms against Paul and Silas, and the city officials ordered them, stripped and beaten with wooden rods. That's serious stuff. Those are serious consequences for preaching the gospel. So listen, these two jokers are upset. They start running their mouth off, and all of a sudden it's like it's a mob. How many of you know for a lot of people, their lives are aimless. They'll join any mob. They want to be a part of something that feels alive. They'll join this mob or that mob or the other mob. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, oh, that's what everyone believes now? Okay. That's what everyone's doing now? Okay. They have zero internal rootedness. They have no idea what they believe about anything. They don't have any real principles they're living by. And so if you tell them, you know, lynch that guy today, that's who they'll get. Tomorrow there's this guy. Go get that guy. What's the crowd saying? What's the crowd doing? That's where we'll go. Listen, as believers, we need to be rooted in the word. We believe what the word says. We do what the word says. doesn't matter what the mob is doing. doesn't matter who's bowing down to a golden idol. 
The truth is what sets people free. No matter how loving someone says a lie is, a lie can never be loving. In our culture right now, in our secular culture in this country, what's risen up and trying to have preeminence is hedonism. Just, well, what do you feel? Just do what you feel. Follow your heart. Your heart is deceitfully wicked. <laughs> That's what the Bible says, especially apart from Christ. When it hasn't been renewed, your mind hasn't been renewed. People think about our country like rights. They think, oh, it's, you have the right to do whatever you want to do. That is not what the Founding Fathers meant. And number two, listen, that road leads to destruction. Do whatever you feel. The Bible actually says your flesh is going to want stuff that will destroy you. Don't do what you feel. Do what is right. And the more you practice the presence of God, the more your feelers get attuned to what he is saying and what he is doing. How many of you have had that happen? You come to a point where you're like, I don't want to do anything that will diminish the presence of God in my life. Because your feelers have gotten attuned to him. You can feel when he's present with you. How many of you have ever, hypothetically, let's say you start talking to someone and it crosses over into gossip, hypothetically. If you've been walking close to the Lord and you have one of those kind of conversations, the minute you hang up that phone or the minute you get off that Skype or the minute you leave that cough house, don't you instantly kind of feel like, oh. how do you know what I'm talking about? Theoretically, you know someone who's had this experience and you're like, you feel grieved inside. You feel grieved inside because you, you you, right? You've been, you've been walking with God, hosting his presence. And I'm not saying we've got to live in fear. God leaves us and comes and leaves us. And comes. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying you can tell that you've been on this road with him. And all of a sudden you were like, hey, wait a minute. I'm going to jump on this road for a minute. And you can feel, how many of you don't know? You can feel like, man, I, there's like a whole different, you can, because you're, you've become sensitive to the Holy Spirit. Your feelers have gotten in tune with him. And where your feelings used to lead you to do all kinds of knucklehead stupid stuff, now your feelings more and more as your mind gets renewed, and he's making all things new inside you, now you're all, all parts of you are getting aligned to him. Hedonism, just following your flesh, leads to death. But we're told right now, just saying like, hey, whatever, everything's cool. That's loving people. Loving people, <laughs> loving people, you know what they're doing is killing them, isn't loving. How are you with me? You know what I'm talking about. Sometimes your voice that said, hey, I think you're in a bad place. I think the road you're going down is not a good place. Listen, if they don't want you to speak into their life, you you know, they've made room for you to do that, then you don't control them, but you've said what you have to say. There are so many times where two, three, four, five years later, people come back to you and will tell you, you're the only person who told me the truth. 
And even in the moment they hated you for it, or they were irritated with you for it, or you could feel there's a distance in your relationship, later on, you were the one person who actually said, here's where truth is. So when they finally hit rock bottom, somebody had had the courage and confidence to tell them where they, that there was like light at the end of the tunnel. Here's where the light is. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Okay. Her masters are men. They've riled up the whole city against them. And so you see Paul and Silas, they've not done anything wrong. But now they're suffering. They've been lied about, despitefully used, talked about. They've been beaten and now thrown in prison. Verse 25, here's their response to suffering. We talked about suffering a few weeks ago. Here's their response to suffering. Because they have been fostering a life of intercession. They've been fostering a life of personal worship. So what comes out in suffering? It's not that suffering isn't hard, but what comes out? Verse 25, around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening. Their worship comes out of them. Suddenly, there was a massive earthquake, and the prison was shaken to its foundations. All the doors immediately flew open, and the chains of every prisoner fell off. So if you really want to debunk miracles, you could be like, well, there was an earthquake. So of course the doors came open because, right, things got cattywampus, and so doors, you know. But what explains chains falling off of every single per? Come on. That requires a key. The doors fly open, the chains fall off. The jailer woke up to see the prison doors wide open. He assumed the prisoners had escaped, so he drew his sword to kill himself, because, right, they're going to hold him responsible. Paul shouted to him, stop, don't kill yourself, we're all here. The jailer called for lights and ran to the dungeon and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved along with everyone in your household. And they shared the word of the Lord with him and with all who lived in his household. Even at that hour of the night, the jailer cared for them and washed their wounds. Then he and everyone in his household were immediately baptized. He brought them into his house and set a meal before them. And he and his entire household rejoiced because they all believed in God. So Paul and Silas, they've been beaten unfairly. They're in prison. Their response is worship. Something was compelling enough that when all the doors opened, all the prisoners stayed with them. They became the de facto leaders in the situation. People saw something in their life, right? And so the jailer comes back and he's like, man, I'm done for. He sees they're still there and what happens? They haven't left. If Paul and Silas had the viewpoint of, Jesus exists to make my life easy and give me things I want. Number one, they would have responded differently to their beating. <laughs> right? And number two, when the doors open, they'd run. Oh, he's making a way out of this hard situation. They kept their eye on the ball. They stayed and they witnessed to this jailer. And the fact they stayed, he's like, whatever God you serve is for real. What must I do to be saved? That's low-hanging fruit. He was so ready. Just tell me what to do, and I will do it. There are so many people, man, if someone would just say, listen, 
you can, you can decide to believe in Jesus right now. You can give him your life right now. Sometimes God will demonstrate his goodness through you. Maybe it's a kind act. Maybe it's a miracle that he does through you. And people right then, they're ready. Sometimes they're ready right then. If you tell them, listen, you can put your faith in Christ. You can know him like I know him. They'll do, they'll do whatever it takes right then. There's that kind of low-hanging fruit everywhere. <clears throat> Romans 10, 9 through 13 if you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God, and it is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. As the scriptures tell us, anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. Jew and Gentile, meaning anyone, are the same in this respect. They have the same Lord who gives generously to all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. What are the two things that happen in salvation, right? It says, one, you believe he was raised from the dead. So Paul's using kind of shorthand here. He's basically saying you believe the gospel. Because what's the hardest part of the gospel to believe? It's not hard to believe somebody died, right? It's the resurrection. So he's saying you believe the gospel is true. Jesus came and died for your sins and rose again. You believe this is true. But listen, you can believe and not be saved. What's the second part? Lordship. Confess him as Lord. What does it mean to have a Lord? Somebody else is in charge. <laughs> Somebody else is Lord. You've surrendered your, your, your um, life to him. Um, the Bible talks a lot about, Romans talks about repentance. This point where you say, man, I can see that what I have is a mess and I'm willing to trade my life for yours. I repent of my sins. I turn over to you. This lordship is where repentance happens, where I say, not my way, but your way, where I turn away from the old way of thinking and doing, and I now turn to your direction. Lordship is the key. Even the demons believe and tremble. This girl full of the devil believed, but he wasn't Lord yet. There wasn't a, turn away, there wasn't a turning away yet from the old life until she got delivered. Hopefully she got saved. We don't know the end of that story. But how many of you hear what I'm saying? You can sit in church and believe the story for decades and never give him your life. Never surrender and say, you are Lord. I am not. And you'll know when that transaction's happened. It says in that moment, the spirit of Christ comes to dwell within you. And now who's doing the regeneration work? He's doing it. It's not, well, you know, I believe, so I should start living better. No. My works can't save me. And my works and my own strength are going to produce yucky fruit. I get saved by surrendering to him. You are Lord. I am not. I have reckoned, there's a conviction. I have recognized my sin is tragic and ugly. And I can't wash it off. Only you. There are a lot of people who are being misled um, in this, there's like a spirit of the age right now that says basically like, you know, God's grace will just cover stuff and in the end love wins and you don't need repentance, you don't need all of that. God's love is just so big. Everybody will be saved no matter what. Listen, when you believe in grace without repentance, 
it's only because you haven't recognized how ugly your sin is. When you see the ugliness of your sin, you're so thankful for repentance. You mean there's a way out? You mean somebody else can bear the weight of what I've done and what I am at this point? Repentance doesn't seem like something that makes you angry and like, why should I have to do that? Repentance is like, thank you, God. There's a way. There's a way. There's a way that somebody else made for me if I can surrender myself to him. You'll also know because you'll immediately start saying things like, well, what does God say about that? You're not just looking to human wisdom or human wisdom. You're, what does the word say? If he's Lord, it's the word that's guiding my life now. My mind is being renewed through the word and through the spirit. I'm not relying on my own wisdom. I'm relying on the wisdom that comes from the spirit of God. Right? William Faulkner. Yes, that William Faulkner. He said, this was in, um, oh, what's the book about the, the girl? They're looking to bury her. They make that trip to bury her, and all the different family members tell their perspective. Okay, okay, here we go. It's that one. He says, people to whom sin is just a matter of words, to them salvation is just a matter of words too. People to whom sin is just a matter of words, to them, salvation is just a matter of words, too. Until you've seen the ugliness of your sin, it's hard to really value what salvation is and the cost of it. It's what Bonhoeffer called cheap grace. Oh, God's good. If he's loving, he'll just whatever. Right? When I've understood the depths of what that mankind has fallen to and I'm right there with him, then salvation becomes precious. Right? <clears throat> Romans 5, 6 through 11 when we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. Now, most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who's especially good, right? Maybe somebody would die for a good person, but Jesus died for us. <laughs> we were a mess. Maybe somebody dies for a good person, but God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. And since we have been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's wrath. For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son while we were still his enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of his son. So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends with God. How were we made friends with God? While well, we were still sinners, he died for us. And we are covered now in his righteousness, not my good works. The good works I do now are coming out of a relationship with him, so it's not work. I mean, sometimes I gotta make hard choices, but now it's flowing out of the internal work that Jesus is doing in me. It's no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me, right? He is doing this work. We get saved by surrendering to him. You are Lord, I am not, I believe. But you stay saved by surrendering to him. On those days when the ugly is coming to the surface, where it's time to do a deeper work, right? He's, 
you're in the furnace and that dross is coming up like in gold, he's going to shave that stuff off. When that ugly stuff comes up, how do you deal with it? Explain it away, justify it, excuse it. No, you surrender to him and say, cut it off. You come and have it. Make me like you. I just need to try harder. No, you probably need to surrender harder. Very honestly. First Peter 2 says this. It says, The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And now he is a rock that makes some men stumble and some men fall. For the people who don't want to receive his lordship, right? Because it seems like, man, why does everyone get saved? That's awesome. You'd be surprised. Sur- surrender, that's all. You, it's surprising how much we don't want to surrender and humble ourselves. Even when we're saved sometimes, it's hard to surrender ourselves. <laughs> like, surrender and say, you know what? That's just ugly, and I'm not going to excuse it anymore, right? I'm, that's just, I'm not going to justify it. It's just ugly. How many of you found that to be true? So it seems like you just surrender? Yeah, you surrender. You say, you are Lord, I am not. I am not God, you are God. You rule my life. And for some people, that is a stone that makes them stumble and a rock that makes them fall. I have a bunch of friends right now who are just, man, they're in ministry and they're just like um, captured by the spirit of this age and their faith is really getting messed up because they've bought into this idea that doubt is good. Like doubt is what makes you humble and it's like doubt is their idolatry now. They're proving how humble they are by doubting everything. Right? I'm so humble. I'm just doubting all... And I'm not saying, listen, if you have doubts, take them to Jesus. Like everyone has, there's doubts you work through. Work through them. Don't suppress them. Work through them. Uh, Thomas, doubting Thomas, what happened? He put his doubts before Jesus and Jesus answered him. He didn't rebuke him. He answers him. He shows him, right? So it's, I mean, you've got to work through doubts. But to say like doubt is a great place to live in. You know, I'm so humble. So I don't, I mean, the Bible says this, but I don't really know how that happened. The Bible says this, but maybe... Maybe it doesn't really mean what it plainly says 20 times. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I just want to be humble. I just want to be, I'm just being humble. No, no. It's a false humility. What you are is saying, I'm Lord and I'll judge what's good and right. I can see for myself what the word says, but you know what? If I were God, that's not how I would do it. So I have doubt. Let's be real. And this, like, humility doubt is an idol. I'm proving, like, look how generous my faith is, that it's built on nothing solid, and anything can move. Listen, those are dangerous, <laughs> those are dangerous places to sit in. I'm not saying don't work through doubt. Yes, ask him hard questions. Your prayers can look like anything you see in the Psalms, right? Why am I going through this? Where are you? What are, have you abandoned? Like, you can, you can take the hard questions to him. But every time we see doubt in Scripture, people, he moves people through it to answer. So their feet can be on solid ground. Listen, we need people who believe. Move through doubt to believe. You come to a season of doubt, move through it to believe. I'm telling you, not one of my friends who like is beginning to like think doubt is the best thing in the world and is super humble, not one of them see miracles. Not one of them. 
Not one of them is in the miraculous. Because what? How do you how do you move in the miraculous? You believe. You believe. How can you demonstrate Jesus to a fallen world? You believe. There's a stone that makes men stumble and a rock that makes them fall. He will be Lord. And you surrender himself to you surrender yourself to his lordship. I believe and you are Lord. And in that moment, everything changes. Worship team, would you come on up? If you'd stand, prayer team, come on up. John Wesley said famously, you have one business on earth to save souls. That's why you're still here. Save souls. And so we're going to transition to talking practically about how we share our faith over the next couple of weeks. But I really would encourage you in this house we shouldn't live in eternal insecurity wondering if we're saved. Like, we should have assurance of our salvation. But uh, would you just look in your own heart and say, is there a point where I actually made him Lord? Like, is there a point where I actually said, you know what? I repent of my sins. I'm surrendering to you. You can sit in church for decades and never do it. You can believe the stories, but you've not submitted your life. And I'm telling you, there is such a joy that comes there is such a joy that comes when you, can, when you can cross that line of saying, not my way, but your way, Lord. You are Lord. You are Lord. And so today, would you just touch your heart and say, you know what? I even think I love Mike. I think I even love Mike. I even, I love his presence. I, I believe the stories. But you know what? I've been living my own way. I haven't made him Lord. I've changed some things to do better. But I don't know that I've ever actually said, come forgiven my sins. You are Lord. I'm telling you, there's a joy in it. Don't be religious. Be saved. <laughs> be saved. You might be in this place, you're like, I know I did that, but man, my first love is a long time ago. Revelation talks with the church that they had known God and they had loved him and he was Lord, but they lost their first love. A lot of cares of this world just came in. And that joy of their salvation was gone. And he said, come on, rekindle your first love. He's first. He's Lord. He's good. Remember his goodness. Remember the joy of your salvation. You might be in that place today where you're like, man, I need him to come and just do a new work. I'm saved, but I need him to come do a new work. You can feel him stirring you up. Your heart is to share him with others. And you're realizing the joy you would have done that out, out of in the beginning is gone. And you have to restore that joy of your salvation. Let him do that work today. You might be here in your sick and body, need healing. Maybe there's other issues you need prayer for. Let's take some time to respond to him and worship. There's people to pray with you on this side and this side. There's people in back who can pray with you as well. Any believer in the house can pray with you too. But let's take some time to respond to the Lord. Amen. Focus on the words, what you're saying, and, um, and just respond.
it's, it's not enough just to come to a service. It's not enough to just stay where we are and be comfortable. God, your love is intense. <laughs> and it crushes every bad thing. It crushes everything that's not of you, God. And you bring life. You bring life and abundance.
You don't have to receive communion if you don't want to, but you also don't have to remember this church to receive. You can receive it, but I'm not going to lead you through communion today. Here, I want to ask you to do um, Jesus when he knew it was his death was near. He knew he was going to die. He brought his disciples together, and he took bread and broke it and said, "This is my body broken for you." He took the cup and said, "This is my blood spilled for you," and he said, "Do this in remembrance of me." And so, individually, as you get communion. Would you just have your own moment with God where you receive again what he has done for you? Will you reaffirm, I believe, you are Lord, come cleanse me, come do what you want. Would you just have a moment with him where you just reaffirm and, and allow him to come and, and work in you? How many of you know, like, you can be saved and yet, man, as you grow in him, you realize, man, I thought I had everything in you and there's so much more. You keep pressing in and... And so maybe you're in a place with God where you're like, things are awesome. Would you just come and say, God, would you just come and, and, and bring the more? Would you take me deeper? Can we go further up and further in? As you receive these emblems of broken body and the spilled blood, I'm not going to lead you through it. So as you receive it, you can pray and you can talk to God and then you receive it on your own as you reaffirm just your relationship with Him. Again, you do not have to receive communion, um, but anyone's welcome made Jesus Lord. So as the ushers bring the emblems to you, you take it as we're worshiping, um, and as you reaffirm, we're not going to have a formal dismissal because it feels like there's maybe a pressing in. We're going to do in worship, so as you need to go, you feel free to go. Um, let's take a little bit of time as we take these emblems of communion to worship and to receive these, these emblems, his body broken for us, his blood spilled for us. Amen.
the chance.